All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power Parsha. All right, this is, we are, this is Monday, August 2nd, 2021. This is Daily Power Parsha. So what do we do at Daily Power Parsha? You may be wondering. I'll give you the answer. The answer is, at Daily Power Parsha, we study the Parsha daily to try to, well, to be knowledgeable about what's going on this week in Torah and also to hopefully walk away with some inspirational lessons for our lives. Okay, this week's Torah portion is Re'e, and I am going to um, pull it up in a moment. So uh, this is like the, what is it, the fourth Torah portion, I believe the fourth Torah portion of the book of Deuteronomy. So we're, we're deep in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, again, is the book, the fifth book of the Torah, where Moses gives his final instructions to the Jewish people shortly before his passing. Very inspiring. Ray, welcome. I don't know if Ray can hear. Hey, Ray. Hey, Ray. How's it going? Good to see you. Oh, Ray. So this Torah portion is Ray. It's not exactly Ray, but it's soup. But it's but it's also not not that close either. It's pretty. It's pretty close. So, Ray, I feel like this Torah portion is dedicated to you. This is courtesy, by the way, of Sandrine. That's, that's Sandrine's idea, and uh, I, I, I can't take the credit for all the jokes. Um, okay, so, Ray, here we go. Ray is the Torah portion. Oh, you know what? Um, oh, you have? Um, amazing. Here we go. The Torah portion opens with the word Ray, which means see. Ah, it's not even translated as see. That takes away the fun. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 26, it starts off with the word behold, but it really means see. See, I have set before you today a blessing and a curse. And I know I'm modifying the translation somewhat. Work with me here. That's the way, that's the way um, I'm familiar with the verse, at least in the Hebrew. See, I have set before you today a blessing and a curse. This is Moses speaking to the people, and he uses the word re'e, which means see. The commentaries discuss what does it mean when you say the, when you say the word see, it's usually when you're showing somebody something. Like if I would say, hey, take a look, see this. This is a great piece of jewelry that Donna designed. I would probably be showing you the piece of jewelry. If I say the word see, right, like S-E-E, it's probably not something theoretical that I'm speaking about. It's something tangible right here that I can point to and you can see, which is why I'm using the word see, which begs the question, what is Moses showing them when he says the word re'e, see? See, I have placed before you today a blessing and a curse. What are we looking at, Moses? What's the visual? Is it a PowerPoint that says blessing and curse? What's, what's going on? What's the visual here? There are many different commentaries that give many different explanations. Um, but I want to say, I want to share this. This is not a literal interpretation, but it's the one that I love. And I hope you love it too. Re'e, see. Moses expresses this truth. That the way we see things, our perspective on life, radically determines whether... We live a life of blessing or a life of the opposite of blessing, i.e. curse. You ever hear the expression, um, rose-tinted glasses? You ever hear that expression? 
Somebody's wearing rose-tinted glasses, it means that they look at everything in a positive way, in an amazing way, like, wow, the world is so great, look what's going on, it's amazing. Oh, you think it's amazing? You must be wearing rose-tinted glasses. That's one context in which you might hear that phrase. That's a negative context, or like a bit of a sarcastic context. But rose-tinted lenses, rose-tinted glasses, means that we look at everything rosy, beautiful, perfect, even if it's not. Conversely, a person can put on, I don't know what the opposite of rose-tinted glasses would be, but whatever that opposite is, a person could put on those, those glasses and look at everything in a negative way. And what Moses is telling us today, 2021, same deal, same, peop, same dynamics to the human condition, it's the way you look at things is how you perceive things is what things are. Perception is reality to a great extent. So if we look at things through a negative lens, if we look at things and just interpret the worst, life is going to be a curse. If conversely we look at things through a positive lens, if we look at things in a positive light, then we will have the blessing. So, again, just to reimagine re this first verse, it says, See, I have set before you today a blessing and a curse. How we see things, re'e, how we see things is what determines whether our life is a blessing or a curse. It could be the same life. In Pirkei Avot... Can I say something, sorry, oh, I say something Rabbi? Give me, give me one second. Let me just share another... another I just want to add on a few more pieces to this. So this week in Pirkei Avot, Ethics of the Fathers, we study chapter 4. And there's a powerful, the opening of chapter 4 is amazing. It says, Ben Zoma Omer, rabbi named Ben Zoma, he said the following. Ezeu Chacham, who is wise? Halomed Mikaladam, the one who learns from every person. I'll fast forward to the one that I want to reference. He talks about four different things, but one of them is Ezehu Asher. Who is wealthy? Who is rich? And what's the answer? Hasameach Bechalko. The one who's happy with what he has. Which is unbelievable. Because you ask anybody in the world, who is the richest person? And they'll say, well, um, Bezos, right? Musk, right? Who, whoever the top, the top guys are, right? Who's the richest? Who's the wealthiest person? The one with the most money. That's not, not in Judaism. Who is the wealthiest? The one who's happy with what they have. Because you could have all the money in the world. You could have $100 billion in the bank and be paranoid and be suspicious and be jealous and be greedy and live a miserable life. There is now. I know what we're all saying. All right, give me $100 billion, I'll be okay. Right? Like, let me get the money. I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out already. But what I'm trying to say is like this. That money is not a guarantee for happiness. And in Judaism, the definition of wealth is not who has the most, but it's the one who's happiest with what they have. You could have someone who's a simple, village, a simple farmer in a village somewhere. And they could have a better quality of life than the, the millionaire living in Manhattan. And you ask the question, well, how is it possible? It's not possible. Tell me, the millionaire is living a less quality of life than the, poor, than, the, than the poor farmer in a village? Yes. Because quality of life is 
a metric, at least the way I, I'm defining it right now, maybe there are different definitions. Quality of life is essentially happiness. How happy are you with your life? And that is a personal choice. Is my life blessed or is it cursed? You know who determines that? My perception. My perception of the same thing. You could have two people with the same, exp I mean, no two people are alike, right? No one has the same experiences. But theoretically, you could have two people, same story, same narrative, same context, same trials, same tribulations, same blessings, and ask them, how's your life? And you can get two completely different answers, right? And what's it dependent on? A choice. How do I see it? Do I see it as a blessing? Do I see it as an opportunity? Do I see it as a gift? Do I see it as what? Or do I see it as the worst? They tell a story of a congregant who calls, a, a, a person who calls a rabbi out of the blue. And the rabbi says, hey, what's going on? He says, hey, let me introduce myself. I'm so-and-so, and I'm looking to move to your city. I'm thinking about moving into the Jewish community. And uh, he says to the rabbi, I'm calling you to find out about the Jewish community. What's it like? So the rabbi says, well, tell me what your community is like, where you live currently. He's like, oh, my community, it's terrible. Everyone's this, the, the, the neighbors are not nice, the community, the shul, the rabbi, the president, the vice president of the synagogue, the board, the kiddish, the chalant is never good. Oh, complaining, complaining, complaining. He says, that's why I'm looking to move. So he says, so rabbi, tell me about your community. He says, my community is the same, same, same thing. He hangs up the phone. Somebody else calls. Same story. I'm looking to move. What's the community like? The rabbi says, what's your community like? He says, oh, my community. The people are so nice. Everyone takes care of each other. The shul is beautiful. The rabbi is great. The president, the vice president, the board, the chalant, the kiddush, everything's wonderful. So how's your community, rabbi? The rabbi says, it's the same. Same over here. You know why? You know why that's the perfect answer? Because people don't change. If you find what to complain about in one place, you'll find what to complain about in the new place. That's the truth of life. Because the complaint is a choice. It's how do I look at it? Do I look at the worst? Do I look at what's wrong? Or do I appreciate what I have? I, I, I hope what I'm saying is making sense. It's a bit of a subtle, I don't think it's that subtle. I mean, it's, I think the, the, the difficult thing of what I'm saying is that it really shifts the responsibility to ourselves. Yeah, which is literally what I'm trying to say. So I don't know if it's difficult or not, but I, I, I personally believe it's a very powerful truth. That how we are determines what we see, which determines the reality that we live in. Because what is reality if not our perception of that which is? Right? What is reality? Reality is not some objective thing. Reality is as observed by you and I. So how do I observe it? How do I interpret it? Is it good or is it not good? Who decides? I decide. Moses says, see, I place before you today a blessing and a curse. I'm telling you, you have the choice whether your life is going to be blessed or cursed, and it's really dependent on how you see things. All right, Donna, jump in. If you can. Hold on, don't forget to unmute. My story changed a bit since your So I was saying I'm, I'm at an artist <laughs> patient in North Springs, and 
I was looking for a place to sit, you know, so that I can follow the class. And I found like pretty much a pile of rocks. So I was going to say, I felt like I'm sitting in a rock garden because you know how I like stones. Oh, but, you see that? So, I mean, that kind of goes with your message. But I had to get up because a wasp was coming around. A wasp, a, you know, some kind of... I feel like I should have, I feel like you should have jumped in before when things were still a blessing. But, oh well, what are you going to do? <laughs> okay, it came back to a blessing. I found a marble bench. Oh, okay. there you go. You see that? You started off with rough stone and now it's polished. Right. There you go. All right, let's continue um, with the second verse of the Torah portion, verse 27. Moses continues, what I told you was not a literal interpretation of the verse. It's more of a... Drush. It's more of like a homiletical or whatever it is. Hopefully inspiring message. But let's continue on a simple level. Moses is saying that we each choose in our lives a path of either blessing or curse. And what that means is our actions, again, the simple understanding is our actions determine whether we will be blessed or, or the opposite. And what, what does that mean specifically? Verse 27. The blessing that you will heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today. So basically, if we keep the commandments, then there will be blessing. And verse 28, And the curse, if you will not heed the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn away from the way I command you this day to follow other gods, which you did not know. Yeah. So basically, on a, on a simple level, and not to oversimplify, not to make it too simple, but on an essential level, these verses are speaking about the notion of free choice that each one of us has free choice. And Moses says, you have the choice. You can live a life of blessing or life of curse. Now, I also spoke about free choice. How, do, how we see things, how we perceive, how we choose to see something is also our choice. Um, but this is more about action, right? What we do has an effect. So do we do the right thing and enjoy the blessing of the right thing or the opposite and, and enjoy the opposite? Enjoy, of course, not literally, but uh, whatever. Okay, verse 29. It will be. And it will be when the Lord your God will bring you to the land to which you come to possess it. Basically, Moses tells the people, when God will take you into the promised land, that you shall place those blessing upon Mount Grizim and those cursing upon Mount Abel. So, essentially... There were two mountain ranges in the land of Israel. I mean, there's more than two, but there were two mountains specifically that are being referenced here. There was Mount Grizim and Mount Abel. And they met, there was a valley in between. Okay, there was a valley in between and then two mountains that faced each other. So Moses says, when you go into the land, you should put the tribes that are offering the blessing which I'm going to elaborate on in a moment what that means. Put them on one mountain, Mount Grizim, and the, the tribes that are offering the curses on the other mountain. What does it mean offering the blessings or offering the curses? There are going to be verses of blessings and verses of curses. In other words, if you do this, then you'll be, if, if you keep Torah mitzvot, if you, do the, if you do what you need to do, then you'll be blessed with this and blessed with that and blessed with the other and blessed with, you know, a, a series of blessings. And that was recited by a group of tribes on one mountain. And they proclaimed those blessings and everybody and the nation gathered. I'm sorry, there were 
some tr either the tribes themselves or representatives of the tribes. I forget already exactly how it was done, but they, the, the blessings were recited from one mountain and everyone said, Amen, yes. And then the curse is, if you don't do the right thing, then this is going to happen, that's going to happen, the other is going to happen. And there are verses that say that subsequently in, in these Torah portions. And everyone answered Amen to that as well, to the curses. So two groups of tribes, one on the Mount Grisim for the blessings and one Mount Abel for the curses. See if I can toggle Rashi and get a little bit more. Here we go. Look at Rashi. Rashi says upon Mount Grisim, usually upon here. Okay, here means facing Mount Grisim. The Levites turn their faces toward the mountain is the mountain of the blessing, and began with the blessing. Blessed is the man who does not make any graven or molten image. Each of the curses in that section were first stated in the expression of a blessing. Afterwards, they turned their faces toward Mount Abel and began to recite the corresponding curses. So there was blessings and then curses facing the two mountains. And there were, but there were tribes. I, I believe their tribes were positioned on the mountain or at least near those respective mountains. Okay, let's continue. Verse number 30. Are they not... On the other side of the Jordan, these two mountains, way beyond in the direction of the sunset in the land of the Canaanites who dwell on the plain opposite Google near the plains of Morah. So that's, that's the, um, those are the landmarks. How do we know when we found Mount Grisim, Mount Abel? Maybe there were signs. Welcome to Mount Grisim, Mount Abel. Welcome to the valley in between. Could be, but Moses is kind of giving the landmark. He says it's um, the other side of the Jordan, etc. Let's continue verse 31. For you are crossing the Jordan to come to possess the land which the Lord your God has given you, and you shall possess it and dwell in it. And verse 32, not surprising, and you shall keep to perform all the statutes and ordinances that I am setting before you today. Once again, Moses encourages the people to follow the path of Torah and mitzvot. Looking... Jordan? Yeah, Yardane. Yeah, Yardane is Jordan. You know whose name was Yardane? Wasn't Donna's granddaughter who was just here? Was she Yardane? She might have been Yardane. Oh, okay. Okay, got it. Um, okay. I'm looking at Rashi. Rashi is a little bit grammatical here. Oh, yeah, yeah. So here, uh, look at this first Rashi. Are they not on the other side, uh, on the other side of the Jordan? Moses gave geographical landmarks describing the mountains. Like I said before, he gave them the landmarks to say, okay, here's how you know where those mountains are, just in case they're not marked with a, uh, with a, um, with a sign. Okay, back in our text. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse number 1. These are the statutes and ordinances that you shall keep to perform in the land which the, Lord of, which the Lord God of your fathers gives you to possess all the days that you live on, on the earth. Basically, these are the mitzvot that you should do in the land of Israel when you get there. And do them consistently so that you stay on the land. Verse number two, you shall utterly destroy from all the places where the nations that you shall possess worship their gods upon the lofty mountain and upon the hills and under every lush tree. So basically, you should utterly destroy all of the spaces of idol worship, okay? What you would call um, houses of worship. Any space where they worship their gods, 
whether it was upon the mountains or upon the hills or under the trees, whatever spaces they use for, id for idol worship need to be gotten rid of. Verse number three, and you shall tear down their altars, smash their monuments, burn their asherim with fire, cut down the graven images of their gods, and destroy their name from that place. Basically, they took the, the, the commandment was to remove, destroy, get rid of, eradicate, whatever you want to call it, any and all remnants, any traces of idolatry. Anything, any trace of idolatry was meant to, um, was meant to be gone. Um, and the reason that we've said multiple times is, number one, it's not appropriate to have idolatry in the land of Israel. And number two, it is going to be a thorn at your side if you're trying to coexist with idolatry going on in your face. And it's going to be tempting. And it's going to be seductive because as we know, and I, I'm using that word intentionally, as we know, pre-Second Temple era, idol worship was actually a form, was a seductive experience. It was something that people actually lusted after. And so this was something where you're keeping around a source of temptation and it's just not a good idea. I don't know that anyone today sees a house of worship and is like, oh my gosh, I must go in there. I need to check it out. I need to, 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 you know, to, to bow down to their images. I don't think that we have that type of desire. But back in the day, they did have that desire. And so God says, sorry, this is Moses. Moses tells the people, tear it down, get rid of it, Smash it, burn it, cut it down, destroy it, done. Next, verse number four. You, should not, you shall not do so to the Lord your God. What does that mean, you shall not do so to the Lord your God? Let's see. Rashi on that. Rashi says, survey says, you shall not do so to the Lord your God. Rashi says, to burn sacrifices to God in any place that you choose. Right? When it came to idolatry, when it comes to idolatry, the pagan nations that were worshipping their pagan gods, their idols, their witchcraft, black, black magic, all that stuff, they set up altars and houses of worship and all, everywhere, as we just read. On the mountains, on the hills, under the tree, they set up this god, that god, this idol, that idol. Don't do the same for Hashem, for God. Rather, Rashi says, but rather at the place that he will choose, which, of course, is a reference to Jerusalem and the Holy Temple. There's only one, or back in their times, it was the Mishkan that was traveling with them, but there's only one place to bring sacrifice. There's only one place to commune with God on that level. Another explanation is, so that's the first explanation. Uh, not doing so to the Lord your God means not um, burning sacrifices wherever you want. There's only one place to do it. Another explanation, Rashi says, is you shall tear down their altars and destroy their name, but do not do so to the Lord your God, which is an admonition addressed to one who would erase the name of God from any writing or remove a stone from the altar or from the courtyard. This is from Makot 22a. Now, let me explain this prohibition because this is super practical for everyone here. And you'll see what I mean in a second. The Torah said, Moses just told them to destroy any remnant of idolatry. 
But don't do so to the Lord your God. So what's the second meaning of this? Second explanation, Rashi says, is don't erase God's name. Don't destroy even a single stone from the altar, from the courtyard of the temple. Don't mess with the building and don't desecrate God's name in right, written name. Okay, you ready for the practical application? Number one, back in the day, Mishkan, the Beis HaMikdash, the, the tabernacle or the temple, you could not destroy or deface. It's a prohibition. But moreover, today, you get a book, a Chumash, a Siddur, a book of Psalms, a Tanya, something that is a holy book with um, references to God, to Hashem. You cannot throw it out into the garbage. You cannot destroy God's name. So this is, as Rashi says, an admonition against or addressed to one who would erase the name of God from any writing. This is why we don't destroy, we don't, we don't throw away into the garbage, we don't desecrate. What do we do? Who knows what we do with it? What do we do with holy, holy writings? Put in the Geniza, exactly. And what is the Geniza? It's you bury it. You bury it. Now, so what do you do if you, uh, if you don't have a shovel? What you do is you bring it either to Chabad, we'll take it over to where it needs to go, or you can go straight to um, Ner HaMizrach in Toko, on La Vista Road, right across from, uh, from Bet Jacob. They have a yellow box that says Geniza on it, and you put it in there, and then eventually when it, when it piles up enough, they take it and they bury all the, all the holy writings with Hashem's name on it. Anyway, so that's uh, just so you know, if you have books with holy writings, you got to treat them with um, a very, very special care. This is true in Atlanta, but wherever one is, there's always, not always, but every community usually has some sort of Geniza option to, uh, to bury the holy writings. Let's Rabbi, excuse me, yes. can you just go with, once again, just uh, give the listing enumeration of, of what's are considered, which books fall in that category? And I know the general ones, but it seems like there's even more. Yeah, well, first of all, anything with God's name written in it, for sure. By the way, that's why we write God G-D. You ever see uh, us write that with a, with a dash? Because with the O, it's the English form of God's name. So it's also sacred, perhaps, on some level. So to avoid any questions with that, we make sure to write it with a dash so that it's a little bit more, you know. But anything that really has a Torah thought, anything that is, you know, of, a, of Torah value, and I don't mean only five books of Moses' Torah, but like... Anything from here. Anything from Chabad, essentially, right. Anything from the classes, the class materials, would be part of that. So you would have to be careful. Now, if it's a story about, it, with a lesson or whatever, it's about a topic, it might not be like a contemporary writing about a topic, it might not be on that level. But like original texts and their commentaries, that would be more along the lines. You can, I'm sure you can Google it and find maybe a, be, a bit of a better list about you know, modern, uh, modern writings, what category they fall in. But, but classically, you know, any, any text that is a biblical text, a scriptural text, the Talmudic text, the mission of the Talmud, anything like that, Code of Jewish Law, Rambam, Maimonides, you can't just, can't just discard. It's holy. Even if it doesn't have God's name written out, it's still holy. So does the, do the handouts that you make for our Torah classes, you know, that you print out pages from Chabad.org, does that characterize in the same? Yeah, that would be, that would be the same. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 
So, you know, you can, if you take them, you can bring them back, or you can leave them, and we have... Um, Should we do it? Why not? We're all wireless here. We're all amongst friends. Bum ba dum, bum ba dum. This is the bima, aka the beamer. Joking. Underneath the bima is a box, and inside the box are papers from the classes. You see that? And what happens to the box, I'm sure you're wondering? Well, the box is then taken to the Geniza in Toko. And then what do they do? They, they bury it. They lay it to rest. Like, uh, you know, like we lay people to rest. All right. That's a tour of the box under the bima. Thank you. Sure. I'm sure everyone enjoyed the... Uh, <laughs> Oh, you didn't know about that? Yeah. Yeah, so you can... I mean, whatever. Listen, if you can take it directly there, it's good. But if, uh, you know, whatever. This is a little, a little bit more convenient. Okay, back inside. Back inside. Let's do this. Verse number five. But only to the place which the Lord your God shall choose from all your tribes. This is the first explanation of Rashi, which is why it was the first explanation but only to the place which the Lord your God shall choose from all your tribes to set his name there, you shall inquire after his dwelling and come there. In other words, you can only offer sacrifices to God in the place that he will choose, which is Jerusalem. That's a spoiler alert, right? That's where you shall inquire after his dwelling and come there, and you should visit the temple in that space. And there, verse 6, you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices and your tithes, and the separation by your hand, that means like the donations, and your vows, and your donations, and the firstborn of different types of donations, and the firstborn of your cattle, and of your sheep, and there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in all your endeavors, you and your households, as the Lord your God has blessed you. I believe that is a reference to the, the, um, the Bikurim first fruits that we're supposed to be eating, or maybe it's the, um, yeah, what does it say, Bikurim? Yeah. Right, yeah, okay, good. So, ver and that's verse seven, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so verse seven is a reference there, yeah, I thought so, thank you for confirming. It's a reference to Bikurim, which is the first fruits that the farmer in Israel would bring to the temple and offer it to the Kohen, and then, Enjoy also some food over there as well. So that is, what's the point? The point is that all of these holy experiences, the sacrifices, the donations to the temple, the first fruits, the Kohen gifts, all that stuff happens in one location. Jerusalem, the Temple Mount, the Holy Temple, it happens in a space. Unlike, again, the contrast is the pagan um, communities they would, uh, they would have God set up everywhere, you know, and, and altars and all that stuff, and it was, it was a free-for-all. But this is one place for that worship to happen. You shall not do, and I, maybe you're thinking, well, don't we have synagogues everywhere? Yes, we have synagogues, and even then you could have had synagogues. But you, a synagogue is not, there was only one place where you would bring an offering. You wouldn't bring an offering 
in a synagogue, in a backyard, in a community center. You would only do it in the one place, in the Holy Temple. Um, okay, you shall not do all the things that we do here this day. <laughs> yep, some things still apply. Even, you know, you pull this verse a little out of context. It's such a good verse. You shall not do as all the things that we do here this day, every man doing what he deems fit. In other words, it's a free-for-all. Everyone's doing whatever they want. But what he means is in Israel, before we get there, before we got there, everyone's doing whatever they want as, a, as insofar as you know, spiritual service and sacrificial service is involved. And the idea here is it's not, you don't do whatever you want. When you get to Israel, everyone just sets up their own thing and creates their own method of, serve, of worshiping God. That's not how it works. There's a way to do it. There's a right way, and then there's not the right way. For you have, verse 9, for you have not yet come to the resting place or to the inheritance which the Lord your God has given you. So now we'll let you off the hook. The pagans are doing their thing. The pagan the idolaters are doing their thing. You guys are traveling with the portable sanctuary, so there's different places where the sacrifices are being offered every day, maybe a different place. But once we get there to the promised land and settle in, you know, which will be Jerusalem, that's going to be at one place for that to happen. Verse 10, And you shall cross the Jordan and settle in the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. He will give you rest from all your enemies surrounding you, and you will dwell securely. That's a beautiful promise. It's a beautiful promise. He will give you rest from your enemies, and you will dwell securely. It's a beautiful... You know what dwell securely means? You could sleep well at night. You feel safe. That's what that means. That's what that means. I'm going to toggle Rashi quickly to see if there's something that we should mention. Um, oh, there's a lot of things we should mention, but let's see if there's anything specifically. Do, 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 do. Yeah, Rashi mentions the bummer. Not bummer. That's like, oh man, that's a bummer. No, this is a bama. What's a bama? Bama is a temporary altar. Okay, take a look at Rashi. This is an important Rashi. This refers, um, you shall not do uh, all the things that we do here this day. So Rashi says, this refers back to what is stated above, for you are crossing the Jordan, meaning, when you will cross the Jordan, you immediately are permitted to offer up sacrifices on a bama, a temporary altar, during the entire 14 years of conquering the nations and dividing the land among the tribes. But on Obama, you may not sacrifice all that you've sacrificed here this day in the Mishkan, with, which is with you and has been anointed and is thus fit to, sa to sacrifice therein sin offerings and guilt offerings, vows and donations. Whereas on Obama, you may sacrifice only what is vowed or donated. Interesting. Okay. You see, this is why we, we study Rashi. So basically, he says, there are certain offerings when they, when they, go, so now they had a portable sanctuary, the Mishkan. But the idea here is that when they enter Israel and, 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 and the conquering and settling of the land begins, not everyone is, is, there's not one central location necessarily. So we have, so we could, there is a possibility for those 14 years that it, that it would take to have a, a temporary altar set up. But you could only bring on that temporary altar, on that bama, sacrifices that are vowed or donated, but not sin offerings or guilt offerings or the holiday offerings, etc. And that is the meaning of every man doing what he deems fit, 
uh, vows and donations that you donate because you deem fit to bring them, not because they are any obligation. So any obligation offering you cannot bring, only voluntary offerings are able to be brought, but only those 14 years on the bamas, or bamot, on those, um, those temporary altars. Rabbi. Yes. Does the word bima come from Yes. Bima? Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for, for, for mentioning that. Bima and bama, they both mean like an elevated platform. The bima is what I showed you before. That's, where, that's, that, that's that box that we read the Torah on. It's an elevated stand or whatever it is. And a bama is an elevated altar. Okay, good. Good, good, good. Oh, look at this Rashi. We've got to do this Rashi, this last Rashi. Look at this. Let's do two Rashis here. You shall cross the Jordan and sit on the land. Uh, Rashi says, Moses is telling the people, you will have apportioned it among yourselves, and every man will recognize his portion and the territory of his tribe. In other words, everyone's going to be satisfied and will be happy and will recognize this is my place, this is my land, this is my tribe. It's all going to be good. And then God will give you rest. Rashi says, after conquering and dividing the land, which took 14 years, and having obtained rest from the nations which the Lord left over through whom to test Israel. So it took 14 years to conquer and divide, and many other years to deal with the other nations that were still around. And when did they finally get rest? That was only in the days of David. Only in the days of David they finally get rest from their enemies. That happened many, many years after they stepped foot in Israel. All right, let's jump into a little bit of reading number two, today's reading. It's, it's an average size reading. We'll see how, we'll have, let's say, another five minutes or so of study. We'll see how far we can get, and then tomorrow we'll just pick it up wherever we leave off. So this is Deuteronomy chapter 12 for the second, day, second reading, second day, which is for Monday for today. Uh, verse 11, and it will be that the place the Lord your God will choose in which to establish his name, there you shall bring all that I am commanding you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, and the separation by your hand, and the choice of vows which you will vow to the Lord. Basically, all of these things that you bring, offerings and gifts and whatever, sacrifices and offerings, they all are to be brought in the place that God will choose, which we know to be Jerusalem. And you shall rejoice, usmachtem, simcha, you shall rejoice. Mark, did I welcome you? Hey, Mark. Mark, are you frozen? No. Hey, maybe a little frozen. Okay. Um, and you shall rejoice, usmachtem, before the Lord, your God, you and your sons and your daughters and your men servants and your maidservants and the Levite who is within your cities for he has no portion or inheritance with you. Rejoice meaning you have a temple, you have a Jerusalem, you have a capital, you have a, 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 a holy place to offer sacrifices. It's a simcha, it's a party. Beware. The verse continues, Moses says, lest you offer up your burnt offerings any place you see. You can't just bring your burnt offerings anywhere you want, but only in the place the Lord will choose in one of your tribes, there you shall offer up your burnt offerings, and there 
you shall do all that I command you. And that, of course, is Jerusalem and the Holy Temple. However, in every desire of your soul... Ah, hold on. Verse 15. This allows us... This allows us um, to have a barbecue yesterday. However... Right, you can only bring the sacrifices in Jerusalem and the temple, but what about just slaughtering an animal to eat it? That you could do anywhere. Okay? Not not just to clarify, not that we slaughtered an animal and ate it at Chabad yesterday, just to be very clear, but we took meat that was already prepared, as well as, you know, plant-based product and grilled it. However, in every desire of your soul, which means whatever you want to eat kosher, obviously. You may slaughter and eat meat in all your cities according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which He gave you. The unclean and the clean you may eat thereof. That the unclean and the clean means the impure and the pure person may eat thereof. In other words, you can only eat kosher, the kosher animals. But and, and if you're impure, you can't eat anything that is of a sacrificial meat. But when it comes to just a barbecue, not just, there's not, no, no such thing as just a barbecue, but when it comes to, you know, the barbecue, you don't have to, not in Georgia, right, it's serious, um, you don't have to be purified. It's not like you got to go to mikvah before you come to the IJ barbecue. Although, you know, who knows? Nonetheless, um, the unclean and the clean may eat thereof as of the deer and as of the gazelle. However, when you're barbecuing in whichever town you want, you shall not eat the blood. You shall spill it on the ground like water. So again, just to clarify what we're talking about. Moses is talking about what's going to happen when the Jewish people, he's speaking to them. He's like, when you guys go into Israel, you got to get rid of clean house, get rid of the idolatry, get rid of all of the temples and all of the altars and all of the things, and you're only going to worship God in one place that he chooses, in one city, one place, one temple, one location, and that's what we know as the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. That's going to be your place. But if you want to eat meat, yeah, you can do that anywhere. You can slaughter animals otherwise, but not as a sacrifice. As dinner, yes, but not as a sacrifice. Sacrifice is one place, Jerusalem, with the, the guidelines of that. But meat, sure, as long as you don't eat the blood, you're good. Next. You may eat, verse 17, you may not eat within, this, within your cities the tithe of your grain or of your wine or of your oil or the firstborn of your cattle or of your sheep or, of any, or any of your vows that you will vow or your donations or the separation by your hand. All of these things, the tithes, the various tithes are not to be eaten within the cities, only within any city, only in Jerusalem. But you shall eat them before the Lord your God. In the place the Lord your God will choose you, your son, your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, and the Levite who is in your cities. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God in all your endeavors. Basically, when you have the ties that you're supposed to eat, this is called Meiser Shani. Every few years, the, the farmers took their tithes, 10% of their, of their produce, and brought it to Jerusalem to eat in the holy city of Jerusalem. To eat, to study while they're there, eat, experience the temple a little bit, whatever. But they, they, it wasn't a donation. It was just enjoying life, enjoying, enjoying the, the, the fruits of the land. But it had to be in Jerusalem. All right. 
Let's continue verse 19. Beware, lest you forsake the Levite all, the day, all your days upon your land. Don't forsake the Levite. When the Lord your God expands your boundary. Okay, one second. So don't forsake the Levi, the Levite. My understanding is because the Levite is involved in the sacrificial service. So it's important to, um, to take care of the Levite because they don't have their own land. Here we go. Let's look at Rashi. Beware lest you forsake the Levites. This is in addition to the positive command expressed in the previous verse. This is intended to attach a negative commandment to the matter. In other words, the previous verse said, make sure you take care of the Levite who is in your cities. And this one says, don't forsake the Levite. So there's two commandments. There's a positive and a negative. Take care of the Levite. That's the positive commandment. Don't neglect the Levite. That's the negative commandment. And then it says, uh, don't for forsake the Levites upon your land. Rashi says, that's in Israel. But in exile, you are not admonished regarding him more than poor Israelites. So it's not like the Levi gets preference over anyone who's in need. Anyone who's in need, we have to take care of. And the Levite, if there's a Levite in need, that also, that also um, is, of course, an important mitzvah to take care of those in need. But there's a special preference in Israel for the Levite. Um, let's continue. Let's continue. A similar theme as to what we just said. When the Lord your God, we'll close it out soon. When the Lord your God expands your boundary as he has spoken to you and you say, I will eat meat. You say, I want to eat meat. Because your soul desires to eat meat, you may eat meat. You want to eat meat, you can eat, you can eat meat. You don't have to. You could. According to every desire of your soul. If the, if the place the Lord your God chooses to put his name there will be distant from you, you may slaughter of your cattle and of your sheep, which the Lord has given you as I have commanded you. And you may eat in your cities according to every desire of your soul. But as the deer and the gazelle are eaten, so may you eat them. The unclean and the clean alike may eat of them. Has to be kosher. However, be strong not to eat the blood, for the blood is the soul. Look at that. Ki adam hu The blood is the soul. And you shall not eat the soul with the flesh. The blood carries the life force, the vitality of the animal. If you slaughter an animal, literally the blood goes out and, this, and, the, and the life goes out of the, of the animal. Spilling blood means taking life. So don't eat the blood, it's cruel. It's like eating the life of an animal. Don't eat the life. Eat the flesh, you could. But don't eat the life. Don't eat the soul. Don't eat the blood of an animal. It's cruel. Also, some commentators, Nachmani says, because the, the life force of the animal is in the blood, so that's like the, the core passion of the animal, which would make us more animalistic. We don't want to be more, we want to eat meat, maybe. If we want to eat meat, we can eat meat, but not become an animal. Don't eat the blood. You shall not eat it, you shall spill it on the ground like water. So that's why when it comes to kosher food, kosher meat, not only does it have to be a kosher animal, not only do you have to slaughter it in a humane, kosher way, but you have to salt and soak and salt and soak the meat to extract all the blood because of this prohibition. We are not allowed to eat blood. Sorry, vampires. It's not kosher. Although, is that human blood, vampires? All right, whatever. Either way, this is... Huh? No, I'm not advocating for... Listen, time out. I said, sorry, vampires. I'm saying no vampirism, just to be clear. All right, next. Um, you shall not eat it, don't eat the blood, in order that it be good for you and for your children after you when you do what is proper in the eyes of the Lord. In other words, yeah, every, maybe it's a, it's a fad. Everyone's eating the blood. Don't eat the blood. It's going to be good for you. 
However, oh, looks like we'll finish this. However, your holy offerings which you will have and your vows you shall carry and come to the place that the Lord chooses. So your private meat, private ribs and barbecue and eh, all that stuff, brisket, you can do wherever you want, wherever you live. But the holy offerings, that you need to come to the place that the Lord chooses, Jerusalem, and you shall make your burnt offerings, the flesh and the blood upon the altar of the Lord your God, and the blood of your sacrifice shall be poured upon the altar of the Lord your God, and you shall eat the flesh. Again, don't eat the blood. You pour out the blood, get rid of the blood on the altar, near the altar, whatever, and then certain sacrifices you eat of the meat. Keep and hearken, the conclusion, keep and hearken to all these words that I command you, that it may benefit you and your children after you forever when you do what is good and proper in the eyes of the Lord your God. Okay, let's close it out today because we're 103. We're right at the time. So what are the lessons for today? I want to go back to what I said. There's a lot of discussion here about food and meat and blood and whatever, but I want to go back to what I said in the beginning. Life, is life a blessing or a curse? You decide, right? How you see things is how they are. Life could be a blessing, could be a curse. Perspective creates reality, as well as our actions create the world that we live in. We, we act in a blessed way, we live in a world of blessing. We act in the opposite way, we live in a world of the opposite. We also spoke about getting rid of temptation. Don't put your vices right in front of you. Don't put a temptation right in front of you. Like, I'll give you a modern example. This is like so not idolatry, but maybe it is. If you know that your phone, this is just like super practical example. If you know that your phone is keeping you awake at night or is distracting you from quality time with those that you love, Right? So don't keep it next to you at those times that you want to connect. Keep it somewhere else or in a different room or turn it off or whatever it is. Like, Don't put the temptation right next to you if it's going to be a temptation. And only you and I know what that is. In the context, I'll tell you where I got that from the Torah reading. Right? We said before, you come into Israel, get rid of the altars, get rid of the idolatry, get rid of the... You know, any remnant of idol worship. Why? Because it'll be a temptation. So just don't have it around. You have it around, the next thing you know, you're going to get sucked into it. So just get rid of it. Good. So get rid of the phone. I get rid of the phone. I mean, sorry. I don't want to traumatize anybody. But like, right, but you know, when it's... <coughs> one, of the, one of the greatest things we can do, in addition to, obviously, quality time with, with our loved ones, we put away the phone or turn it off or whatever it is, but Shabbos is a great experience, right? 25 hours, you just power down the phone. Oh my gosh, you could be so present with people and yourself when you don't have a, hold on one second, I got something coming in. One second, guys. I'm joking, you see what that looked like? That's annoying, right? It's totally annoying because we're not present because we're taking stuff on the phone, right? You guys like, all right, listen, I, I, I do what I can. But look. Let's be present. Shabbos is like one day. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, one day research is going to show just how beneficial Shabbos is, Shabbat is, for mental and emotional health. I'm telling you it's going to happen. So, I mean, it's not going to happen Shabbos. Be, you know, we think, scientists have researched that it's good to take one day off from technology. I'm telling you it's going to happen. Someone's going to come up with a study after spending millions of dollars and coming to this grand conclusion. And I'm not going to say I told you so. I'm going to say Judaism told you so. Torah told you so. Yes, it's unhealthy to be plugged in 24-7. It's just not, it's not good. It's not good. Look, 
I'll, I, I want to conclude with this. If everyone in the world was totally fine, perfectly healthy, no anxiety, no anxiousness, no fears, no, no high pressure, no high blood, if everyone was fine, then maybe you could say, what do you need Shabbos for? But when that's not the case, and we, you, we know it's not the case, and we look around and we think, well, what, what can we do to make things a little bit healthier? Maybe we should consider. Not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. I'll, I'll tell you this, for my own well-being, that, and I, I think I mention this like every once in a while, every few weeks or so, I probably end up mentioning this because it's something I think about often, just powering down everything before Shabbos, right? Friday, Friday evening, the phone goes off, right? The computer gets shut down, done. The only thing that matters, the people right here. It's like, you can breathe. You can like literally breathe. Anyway, we should all breathe. <laughs> <laughs> we should all breathe. And you know what? We should take a Shabbos every night, right? Every evening, go to sleep. Shouldn't be like checking texts that, you know. I'm speaking to myself also, trust me. I'm not on a soapbox here. I'm like, on, I'm, on, I'm like in this world also. I'm also checking stuff and working on stuff and whatever. But listen, it's good to know what's, uh, what's good and, and, and where we can tweak. All right, that's it for today. I don't want to keep you guys too long. Um, tonight, we don't have a program Tomorrow, again, tomorrow DBP, and then Wednesday Torah Studies, but next week, number one, we have this incredible film, a gorgeous Israeli independent film. It was nominated for like seven Israeli Academy Awards, which came out like a year or two ago. It's called Shoelaces. It's beautiful. It's a comedy drama, 8 p.m. next sun this Sunday night, this coming Sunday night, um, at Chabad in the back, right near the Beltline. Um, we will be watching the film and serving a gourmet Chinese dinner. So join us for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, what else did I want to mention? Next Monday, a week from tonight, we have our Jewish scribe workshop. Get your scribe on, said no one ever. Um, but join us for that. You'll get a quill and some ink and learn how to write Hebrew letters and learn how Torahs and mezuzot and, and, and tefillin are, are written. Plus, you'll have the opportunity to bring in your Judaica stuff, have it checked, and also purchase a mezuzah or two for your home if you wish. Anyway, that's going to be happening next Monday night with an expert Jewish scribe. Um, I think that's it. All the news is fit to print. Yes, Ray. It's the retreat. Yes, the retreat is happening next week. Join us. jretreat.com. Check it out. Yes, Ray. I have a meeting now at 1. I know it's 1.09, but I have a meeting now. It's not so I, happen, I'm giving up. It's don't give up. Ray, if there's one thing, first of all, you have a week, a week plus. In Chabad time, that's a lifetime. So number one, you, have, you still have time. Number two, we're going to connect and we'll take care of it. Okay? Okay. Oh, or uh, maybe you could do it over the phone. Oh, maybe that's not a bad idea. Okay. The phone is good for something. The phone is good. Well, yeah. <laughs> That's true. All right, good. All right, we'll, we'll schmooze. We'll connect. We'll, we'll make sure that it happens. All right, I'm going to sign off. We'll see you guys. Take care, Joy, Olia, Ray, Donna, Mark, Sarah. Great to see you all. Have a Thank wonderful you. day. Thank you so much, Rob. Pleasure. Pleasure. Take care. Bye.
And Sandrine. We, 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 didn't, we didn't give her the shout out at the end. I'm sorry. 